You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in the name of the triune God. So two weeks ago, I read today's gospel in a new um, preaching group that I do online with some preachers across the country. And several of my colleagues were struggling with Jesus' words about taking up our cross and following him. They, were, they didn't understand. And so in response, I pulled out this really fancy schmancy reading I learned in seminary, and they were all like, wow, wow, like Jesus makes perfect sense now. And so I was like, <laughs> I was like, So I was like, bam, I've got my sermon for next week. My work is done. I don't have to do anything else. So, you know, I thought I could bypass the experience of having the gospel convict me and change me, which is what tends to happen every week. I thought I could bypass that and give you an easy sermon. So the easy sermon that I was going to preach to you was going to go something like this. I was going to tell you that when Jesus says, take up your cross, He isn't asking us to perform our suffering so that we look good or that we're identified as being on Jesus' team. No, I wanted to tell you that Jesus never commends suffering to us like a scouting patch or a badge of honor. We aren't called to endure things like our coming out experience or that we drive a hybrid even though we can't really afford it or that we're spending more time with our dying parents than our siblings We aren't called to endure these misfortunes or difficulties or inconveniences in our lives so that we can enjoy some special status in our community. No, Jesus says, take up your cross. When he says this, you're not being asked to suffer because Jesus knows that we already do. We don't need to import suffering or romanticize our suffering because human life is already programmed for suffering. We will have a cross whether we like it or not, and we'll probably have more than one. The cross isn't something we get to choose. So this was kind of the sermon I wanted to preach. I would have highlighted these things that I just said, that Jesus doesn't ask us to go looking for a cross. Instead, he calls us us to pick up the cross that we have, that is before us, and follow him so that he can shape that suffering in a new way. But as I kept mulling over today's gospel, I had this nagging feeling that I couldn't simply preach the reading that I learned in seminary. Not that I've stopped believing those things, I I still believe them, but by preaching old news, I was trying to bypass the pain of hearing something new, something that I probably don't want to hear, which is precisely what Peter is doing in today's reading. When Jesus asks his disciples who they say he is, Peter answers like the perfect teacher's pet. Jesus, you're the Messiah. (laughs) And then Jesus replies, "Uh, don't tell anyone. Peter had to have been like, what? Like, that was totally the right answer. (laughs) Don't tell anyone? But Jesus knows, and we know from other gospel stories, that the kind of Messiah Peter was looking for was a powerful king with all the shiny toys, and Peter wanted the toys. 
And so Jesus squashes Peter's dream. Jesus says, forget that Messiah stuff. I'm going to suffer and be killed and rise again. And for Peter, this was a total downer. Peter tries to shut Jesus up. Jesus, let's go back to that Messiah part with all the shiny toys. Like Peter, I wanted to bypass hearing the hard truths of this gospel and instead opt for that neat and tiny reading that I learned in seminary. But then Thursday night came, I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't get back to sleep and all I could hear were Jesus' words about shame from the end of this gospel. It's where Jesus says to Peter and the disciples that if they are ashamed of Jesus and his words, he will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory with the holy angels. I kept trying to shut these words out of my mind, but they just wouldn't stop. I couldn't stop wondering what it means to be ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. I started remembering all the times I've been embarrassed to be a Christian about how when I was in college, I stopped going to church for a while because of a guy I liked and who and this guy would constantly poke fun of Christians, so I stopped going to church. I thought about the times that I want to tell people, even today, that I'm a social worker to avoid that awkward silence that comes <laughs> when you tell them, oh, I'm a pastor and I'm gay, and they're like, what? And you're smart. We thought you were smart. Yeah. So, yeah, there have been many times in my life that I've felt embarrassed about my religion, but this can't be all that what Jesus means when he talks about being ashamed of him and the gospel. He can't simply be asking us to maintain our membership at Club Jesus and to make sure we keep wearing that club T-shirt when we go out into society Jesus can't be asking us to just avoid the social embarrassment of being part of something that's uncool. Shame is much deeper and more insidious than embarrassment. In her famous TED Talk, uh, Brene Brown, our current uh, prophet on shame and vulnerability, <laughs> defines shame as the swampland of the soul. And she goes on to distinguish between guilt and shame. Guilt says... I made a mistake, so I made a mistake. Shame says, I made a mistake, and therefore I am a mistake. Shame, therefore, is that fortress of emotion, that thought and insanity that keeps us from seeing the power and our own vulnerability and our own particularity. Shame is what keeps Peter tied to his vision of Jesus as king, and shame makes him crazy when he hears his king speak vulnerably of his impending death. Shame is what makes us believe that if we lose our job, then we are a loser, period. That if we lie to our partner, then we are a liar, period. That if we say something hurtful to our child, then we are a bad parent, period. Shame is what makes us believe that to fail is to be a failure. So when Jesus admonishes the disciples to not be ashamed, he's calling them and us to have a different relationship with vulnerability and shame. Jesus announces that he's in the business of removing shame from sin, but he doesn't remove judgment. Yes, we make mistakes, but we are not a mistake because of our mistakes. We sin, and yes, we should feel bad when we hurt others and ourselves, but feeling bad isn't shame, it's guilt. And Jesus doesn't abolish guilt. Remember, Jesus has just said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. 
That's a pretty strong indictment of Peter. But then Jesus says to not be ashamed of that indictment. It's a, it's a hard pill to swallow. You know, if Jesus had just called me Satan and then said, don't be ashamed of this, <laughs> I'd have a hard time resisting the shame. Like many people, I can receive a thousand compliments and one critique, and I'll brood over that critique for days. I know that I'm far from perfect, but when pushed to look my imperfection square in the face, it hurts. It often feels shameful. But in today's gospel, Jesus teaches us that this shame isn't the end game of the gospel. The gospel shows us our sin so that we can then be forgiven and set free. We know this because after today's reading, the story continues. Jesus is eventually arrested and tried. And what does Peter do? He denies Jesus. Despite Jesus' call to root out shame, Peter is ashamed that his Messiah is now seen as a criminal. Yet, from the cross, Jesus still forgives Peter. And Peter goes on to be a bedrock leader in the church. So no, simply telling Peter not to be ashamed isn't enough to set him free. He has to be forgiven. It's not enough to free any of us. It's not enough to free us because the gospel isn't a set of self-improvements that we can learn and then go implement. The gospel is this experience of being shown our utter failure to improve upon our human condition and the realization that our only choice for new life is forgiveness. Like Peter, we have to stand before God unable to remove the shame from our lives And we have to be forgiven for it anyway. This is what happens from the cross. We stand with Peter and the rest of humanity, utterly unable to turn the ship around on our own. And Jesus forgives us. Jesus forgives us, we who are ashamed of his truth. And then he goes and builds a church upon the rock of absolute and total forgiveness of us, we who are ashamed of his truth. This is us. We are the rock that Jesus builds his church on, forgiven and set free. Amen.